everyone. Welcome to the Do the Change uh, podcast, so where we're challenging and reimagining OEHS. So this podcast focuses on highlighting upcoming leaders in their field and how they got to where they are today with a special focus on the field of occupational environmental health. But we also talk about other disciplines as well, not just that. Um, so we're going to be talking about all the hills and valleys um, of these speakers' journeys, get some insight into non-traditional paths into the field. So my name is Tara Parrish. I'm a recent graduate from the MPH program here at Berkeley. And our guest speaker for this episode is Mariah Giles. I'm super excited to have you here. Um, So I am going to just talk about Mariah really quick. So Mariah is also an MPH graduate um, from from UC Berkeley's Massacre Public Health Program. So while earning her master's, she worked alongside the Sexual Health and Reproductive Equity Program, also known as SHARE on their evaluation study of the Abundant Birth Project. And so drawing from this impactful study and her time in graduate school, Mariah cemented her resolve to support the health of pregnant people from minoritized communities with special attention to the Black American community. Um, As a graduate student, uh, Mariah also conducted research into maternal health disparities between U.S. and foreign-born Black birthing people in the U.S., highlighting her desire and um, the public health community's urgent need for more specificity in examining the health outcomes of different Black American identities. And since then, she has traveled and presented the research findings at two conferences. And this summer, Maria partnered with the Commonwealth Healthcare Corporation, also known as the CHCC, an organization that provides the majority of health services to residents in the Commonwealth of the Mariana, Mariana? Mm-hmm. Mariana. Mariana, thank you, uh, Islands. Um, and they are currently working on the data analysis project examining family planning access on the islands. Wow, that sounds really cool. Um, and this fall, Mariah will be continuing uh, on in a full-time position as a community health fellow with the American Public Health Association, also known as the APHA and Kaiser Permanente. And in this role, she'll be working alongside the Tubman Center for Health and Freedom to open a community health center in Seattle's Ooh, this is a hard word for me. Hug it. I think Putin. Okay. But it might, <laughs> might be wrong. You know? It's, it's all good. Uh, I'll just spell it out. It's P-U-G-E-P. If someone knows how to say that, go ahead and correct me. <laughs> uh, sound region. That means the unique needs of communities of color. So Mariah has done a lot, obviously, as y'all can tell. Um, she is, well, her, her resume is, is heavy. <laughs> Um, so yeah, welcome Mariah to the podcast. Thank you so much, Tyra. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, we are happy to have you. And so we're going to start with the, well, just a quick checking question just to set the tone. Um, so the checking question for this episode is, what is a song or musical artist that always puts you in a good mood? Oh, that's a great question. I feel like if I want to go like old school, I'd say like Earth, Wind and Fire, like stuff okay. like fun. Yeah. Um, but currently, I'd have to say Lizzo. I love Lizzo. I feel like okay, she has yeah. positive music. So I definitely like put her on if I want to be like up in a good mood. I like that. I feel like for me, it is, ooh, if I went like to like my, just like my first love with music, I would say like it was Frank Ocean. Like Frank Ocean made me go, oh, like really love music. And I feel like now I listen to Burna Boy a lot more. But I still will always go back to Frank Ocean time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Okay. So we're just going to just hop 
right into the first question, which is walk us through how you got into public health and the field of maternal child health, because not only is it really interesting, but it actually has some very interesting ties to Berkeley as well. So yeah, I would love to hear, just walk us through, how'd you get here? Yes, I feel like it's been a long journey. I feel like, well, I wish there might've been like one moment where it was like an epiphany. It really kind of happened over the course of my life. Yeah. Um, So growing up, I'm from the Chicagoland area. Um, My dad's side of the family all rooted in the South side of Chicago. Um, So growing up, I did see one, a lot of racial segregation within the city and outlying suburbs, and also um, kind of disparities in healthcare. Not that I knew that word growing up, but just like different health outcomes, healthcare access, et cetera, growing up. Um, So I knew that whatever work I did, I wanted to address the health of the African-American community because that's where I come from. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, so throughout high school, first few years of college, I thought it would be through um, medicine. So I was really a pre-med student, wanted to be a doctor. Um, and I thought that's the way that I would address like healthcare um, disparities. Um, it wasn't until I became a global studies major that I learned about kind of like in a, a roundabout way, I learned about global health first through my global studies major, then focus on public health domestically within the United States. Gotcha. Um, so as a global studies major, I had the ability to take any class I wanted, basically kind of curating my own schedule, my own um, course load. Mm-hmm. And my sophomore year, I think it was, I took a class called Race, Politics, and Reproduction, taught mm-hmm. by Nat- Natalie Lira at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. Shout out to her. Um, and it was in that class that I realized the harrowing history that Black women, Black birthing people have had in the U.S. Um, regarding their reproductive health, birthing experiences, et cetera. Um, so that was a class that really opened up my eyes and also opened up my eyes, not just to the, the history of birthing people, Black birthing people in the U.S., but also the current reality. Hearing about Beyonce, mm-hmm. Serena Williams, both of them almost losing their lives in childbirth, that really opened my eyes to this is not something that just occurred in the past, but it's still occurring to today. I mean, right. it's actually getting worse. Um, the Black people yep. here is getting getting worse, the U.S. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I feel like that was an experience where I really couldn't, after learning of the uh, statistics, hearing about Beyonce, Serena Williams, I really didn't leave that unchanged. Yeah. I became kind of a fangirl, Dr. Lyra. So I took her one class one semester. Then yeah. following semester, I took a class called Race, Medicine, and Society. Uh-huh. And that really about racializing the Black body. Um, and also during that semester, I had the ability to join her research team. Um, and she was doing an NIH project looking at eugenic sterilization abuse in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, so pouring through historical records, hospital records from the 1920s, to the 19, I think it was 1962, um, looking at states eugenics boards, sterilizing people without their explicit consent, uh, largely against their wants and their needs. Um, and mm-hmm. those people were black, were uh, minoritized communities, um, and that was another project afterwards. I really could not become unchanged. I really, it really cemented my resolve um, yeah. to work in reproductive justice uh, spaces. So yeah, I feel like it was really those two experiences. Still at that time, like I knew I was interested in maternal health. I didn't know public health. I didn't know that there was an MCH major concentration. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember I was in the car with my mom, like senior year, junior year. She was like, okay, Mariah, like it's time for you to start thinking about next steps. Like, what do you want to do? And yeah. I just kind of Googled maternal and child health and the MPH, uh, this concentration, maternal and child health concentration, it popped up. So okay. it was like 
this is the next clear step. Like, this is what I'm interested in. This is what I love. And I feel passionate about doing there's yeah. a, this is what I want to do. So okay. yeah, <laughs> long as okay. we get here. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, but it's so just interesting and in how, even though you say like, it was kind of like a roundabout way, it seemed to be like a very also like clear path at the same time, which is super cool. And also just want to highlight the reason why that that I mentioned that Mariah's kind of path is overlaps with Berkeley is because Berkeley has a very, I don't want to say rich, but a very strong history with the eugenics movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of, um, Berkeley has inspired a lot of problematic historical movements, I will say, one of them being the eugenics movement. There is um, actually eugenics, I believe, lab and or center at Berkeley. Um, So for anyone who wants to further explore that, it is a deep rabbit hole, but it's also present at Berkeley. But it's it's very interesting how you're about how when you're talking about your kind of your journey to public health was about eugenics and you happen to go to the universities that has a very interesting path path with eugenics. Um, But um, I think I also just want to Kind of further talk about your uh, your journey of did you experience kind of any challenges along the way um figuring this out and um if what lessons did you learn from those experiences or even currently now or just finishing your mph at berkeley were there any obstacles that you were facing yeah. um during that time hmm. so i will say like on the onset applying to grad school um neither my parents went to graduate school um mm-hmm. my sister did my grandfather did um didn't know that process for him but my sister did the yeah. year before years before so I had her as a resource on um, letters of recommendation the whole like application portable that whole process mm-hmm. um so it was relatively easy for me mm-hmm. but I will say it was difficult in coming to Cal so I'm originally from the Chicagoland area yeah out here for graduate school and while Cal is like an amazing school. It's my dream school. I'm so happy to have been able to attend. There was yeah. a significant, significant financial burden in coming and having to move across the country. Girl, speak on it. Speak um, on right? it. How expensive is the Bay Area? <laughs> oh my gosh. I had no idea. Coming from like $800 apartments in Southern Illinois, where I went to school to yeah. a hefty check for housing yes. Bay Area um, yes. was very unexpected. On top of grad school, which is already expensive, um, yeah, I will say financially had to navigate a lot of different burdens, not just coming to California, but also within grad school. So right. finding summer employment, that was a little stressful, finding an internship yeah, and post-grad, getting everything in order was a little bit stressful. Um, yeah. What else would I say? I'll also say another hardship or, or barrier, I, I don't know if I want to use that word I experienced coming to Cal, which yeah. is diversity, I'll have to say. Like, yep. well, Cal is diverse in some instances or some aspects. I feel like I really was missing a Black community. Yes. Um, so while I, I don't know if it directly impacted like my education while I was at Cal, it did impact me socially and like emotionally. Yep. Um, sometimes I would find it to be emotionally taxing being on campus, not really seeing too many people that look like me um, right. was another barrier, but taking time to find community to feel supported on campus. Right. And I think what the the last like point you made is like very real um, and that sometimes just knowing that there are people that look like you on campus can give you that extra push to keep going. And when that isn't there, then it's like you can self-motivate yourself, but that shouldn't be a burden that you 
kind of solely experienced by yourself. And Mm -hmm. I will say that that effort, like sometimes you don't even have the mental capacity to look for that support, you know? And so that's a whole nother thing, but I really appreciate you sharing that because that is something that I also experienced at Cal in regards to diversity where you're right, it's diverse in some areas, but I feel like in the areas where it comes to like student support outside of courses, Mm -hmm. I'm like kind of, I, I wish it was there more. Yeah, and it's because I feel like a lot of the material, especially because what I was really focused on Black comes, I'm learning about my people, I'm hearing the stories of my people, but I'm not seeing my people. You know what I mean? It's crazy, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, so that was was definitely something to navigate when I came. Yeah. um, So I guess my question is, while you were at Cal and or I guess expanding your network outside of um, Cal, were there any like mentors or folks that you leaned on like in those moments? And also Ooh. like, were there any mentors along the way who kind of helped kind of push you in the direction of public health and or keep you in the direction of public health? Yeah. Um, and for folks who maybe don't have that, how did you happen upon those people? Like, was it organic or was it like, oh, I took their class and it was like, oh, you're super dope. You're my mentor now. Mm-hmm. But that's also a fair <laughs> approach too. So yeah. Yeah, I will honestly say like something that's been constant across my entire academic journey is having at least one person, one faculty member that yeah. really is like a confidant, somebody I can trust in, who can really like sometimes see more for me professionally, academically than I can see for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so one person or two people that come to mind, even from undergrad from University mm-hmm. of Illinois, um, it's Dr. Lira, who I, she worked in the Latinx department and she mm-hmm. showed me public health research and really sparked that interest for me in maternal health. Mm-hmm. And I'd say uh, Dr. Charles Fogelman, who is still my mentor today, still reaching out to me. We love, we love. Yeah, and he was a person who, when I was talking about like public health, well, one, he showed me what public health was. I didn't know <laughs> what it was as a field. Yeah. Um, so when I was applying to schools, he was the one person who told me I need to shoot my my or aim higher in terms of the schools I was applying to. And had he not said that, I would have never applied to Cal or never even came to Cal. That's um, the best. Uh, he's, he's, both of them are just incredible people who really like yeah. enabled me to come here. Um, I'll say while I was here, maternal and child health, we have such an incredible faculty. Um, so Dr. Cassandra Marshall, yeah. Literally day one, like have been talking about like my professional career, like what I want to do, yeah. um, just the ways that my my view on like what I want to do has changed over grad school. She's been somebody I've always been able to come to and still come to. Mm-hmm. Say Dr. Dola Prada, who I work with on this research project, my capstone project has been incredible. Yep. Dr. Harley has been incredible. Literally could not have done this project without her. Um, who else would I have to say? There's so many people, um, even people who they may not be my mentor, but I just see them like mm. either in a class or like hear about their research from afar. They've been, uh, they've gotten me as well. Uh, but those yeah. are the people that, that come front of mind. I love that. And shout out to that person who told you to aim higher. Cause that's sometimes all you need. You see someone to say like, no, you can actually do more. And then you realize you can do more, but that's why you need like, folks around you who can see something you can't see for yourself you're like no Mariah you're good like apply and then now yeah. you're here <laughs> or now yeah. you've graduated from that said university so that's yeah um that's really dope to hear oh I'm getting emotional let me not but like that's yeah. sometimes just all you need yeah um, and I'd even say professionally like those are 
people who have helped me so much academically, but even my right. professional experiences at Cal, um, right. Ortega, Dr. New Gomez, there's mm-hmm. so many people I've worked alongside who, while I still feel like a student, I still feel like a novice at whatever. They really encouraged me to like apply yeah. myself and really just expand my view of what I, what I can do, what's possible. Love, we love. Okay, so I'm going to do a topic shift. So now we're going to um, more so talk about your research and thesis project, which you just like mentioned a little bit earlier. So um, it was on uh, paternal health disparities between U.S. and foreign-born um, Black birthing people in the U.S. So can you um, talk more about that? How did you happen upon that um, project? And then also if you can um, talk about um, in regards to you like presenting, I know it, I'm trying not to spill the, the secret as to why her project is so dope, but okay. I'm kind of like, like wrap around just so you could please okay. tell us why what you did for your thesis project is just humongous for the field of maternal child health also understanding black birthing experiences so please please spill spill why is it so great okay so basically i feel like similar to like public health like me thinking about pursuing an mph this research question has been something i've been like pondering for a while not so much like an explicit research question is X, Y, and Z related to X, Y, and Z, but just kind of like differences I noticed. So in Dr. Lear's class in in undergrad, we actually viewed this film or this documentary called Unnatural Causes. Mm -hmm. Um, It was based in Illinois. It was two doctors, two pediatricians in Illinois who looked at differences between, or looked overall just at um, black infant health outcomes. Mm -hmm. And they looked at um, specifically foreign born and US born black people. Um, And I hypothesized that if there is some Black gene that makes Black babies, which was like a theory at the time, Black babies more susceptible or more likely to die in childbirth because they're Black, Mm -hmm. then babies who are African-born, having more of the Black DNA or whatever it is, Mm -hmm. um, have higher rates of of having a baby with low birth weights. That's like what they were looking at. And I hypothesize that because U.S.-born Black people have a higher genetic mixture with like U.S. of of whiteness or what's the word? <laughs> trying to think of the word. Or have like a, a more diverse or more mixed genetic admixture. Oh, got you. Yeah. Uh, so they actually found in the study the opposite. So they compared US born black women, US born white women, and US or African born black people. Mm-hmm. And they found that African born black babies had birth weights that were equal, around equal to U.S. born black baby or U.S. born white babies mm-hmm. and that U.S. born uh, black babies had lower birth weights. But after mm-hmm. one generation of being in the United States, the African born parents gave birth to babies that had equal birth weights of U.S. born black people. So there's mm-hmm. something about giving birth, they hypothesized giving birth in the U.S. that is harmful to the black birthing body. Um, so that's a question that I really was pondering with and I was really interested in this um, just further analyzing differences in Black identities and how that can impact birth outcomes. Mm-hmm. A lot of times in research, we only are labeled as like a Black monolith, um, right. kind of over overshadowing or overlooking differences between Caribbean Black people, African-born Black people, African-born being a huge group, a little literal. Crime. Right, that's a whole nother relative. Yeah. <laughs> um, people born in South America, et cetera. So all these different Black identities. Mm-hmm. For this research project, I was really passionate about exploring that more. Um, so for our project, we looked at differences in maternal morbidities between U.S. and foreign-born Black birthing people. Um, so this was nationally representative data, meaning that it is a little collect- collection of all the births in the U.S. in 2021. 
Mm -hmm. And should I say findings? Is that like, sorry, what? Should I say like the findings or like? Yeah, yeah, girls, it's your paper. You better (laughs) tell us why the findings are the most important part. And also, before you go into it, can you also define what morbidity is for folks who may not know the difference between morbidity and mortality? Yeah, yeah, Uh, that's actually perfect. Thank you. Uh, So mortality is somebody or a pregnancy-related death. So from pregnancy-related causes, complications. Um, Morbidity is commonly referred to as a near miss. So it can be a severe um, illness or Mm -hmm. a consequence from birth that could really impact the person's life. It could either be severe or it could be less severe, but it's commonly referred to as a near miss. They almost lost their life, but they're still alive. Um, But they're still kind of dealing with the complications from birth. Okay. So for this study, um, we utilized um, natality data um, from the CDC or the National Center of Health Statistics, looking at 2021 birth in the U.S. Um, For our population, it was only Black only, so uh, nobody who identified as Black or any other race, just Black births. Mm And we found that um, U.S.-born Black people, while in the same study population, they had higher rates of having a baby of low birth weight, having a baby that's preterm, they were less likely to have a maternal morbidity compared to foreign-born Black people. So foreign-born Black people in our study were nearly, I think it was nearly 50% more likely to experience, or had 50% increased odds of experiencing Mm -hmm. maternal morbidity compared to U.S.-born Black people. So- Kind of the opposite of what the literature is showing us. So literature currently, which there's not much on the mm-hmm. difference between U.S. born and foreign born um, maternal health outcomes, mm-hmm. it kind of points to U.S. born Black people having um, worse maternal health outcomes than foreign born. But our mm-hmm. study is pointing to the opposite, uh, that the right. opposite in terms of maternal morbidity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so very interesting findings. We're still, you know, running our analyses. Um, additional analyses into birth country, birth region, and how that may impact the outcomes. Yeah. Yeah, those are our preliminary findings. Girl, you, I'm so, I'm just as, as just one as a friend, but then also just like from, even if I took out the label of friend, just like hearing this, it's just so, it's just, it's, it's always, very exciting to actively watch someone change a field or actively kind of like call out or challenge one of the most I'm maybe it's a stretch but like commonly understood kind of thought or idea that's Mm -hmm. been accepted for a while and your research is going like maybe we need to think about this a little bit more and that's um really dope and so Hi guys, this is Tyra Parrish, your host for this episode, and we have reached the end of part one of this conversation with this amazing speaker. Don't click out yet because part two to this conversation has already been posted. So go ahead and click over to the next page and don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and Spotify page.